This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota, the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. With a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices, do you really think you can stand in our way? Think again. Toyota hybrids. Find yours at toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Based on manufacturer estimates, see why 2000 through 2021 sales. Weekly show here on the Blue Room. Uh, Zuzu there obviously plays our intros. We'll be back actually playing in front of a live audience this weekend at Sefton Park, which is obviously very nice for everybody involved. So best of luck to her and to anyone listening who's going along. Uh, anyone in, in here going along? Uh, Connor, you going up to Sefton Park this weekend for that gig? No, sadly not. I'm working on Saturday, Sunday, Monday this weekend. So uh, I got the short story in our place. So now it's. Uh, no such adventures for me this weekend. I'll have to wait for a couple more weeks. Uh, what, what about you, Dave? Uh, golf course, mate. That's the answer to any day I get off. I won't be um, partaking in the delights of Sefton Park and Zuzu. But yeah, best of luck and hope everyone enjoys themselves and actually tidies up after them as well. I think we've seen enough of uh, rubbish and uh, you know beer cans and all that over Sefton Park in the last few weeks. So... Take a bit bad with you, everyone who's going. Yeah, I would encourage that as a local resident of the park as well. <laughs> Obviously, Connor and Dave join us. Uh, Paul McPartland joins as well. Paul, any any grand plans for you this weekend, mate? Well, I mean, after going to the Dickershaw Festival in the early 70s, Sefton Park just can't compete with that, Matt. You know, so <laughs> so I, won't, I won't be a Sefton Park. No, it, it'll probably be an, uh, an afternoon spent in front of soccer Saturday. I can't bother the fortunes of teams in the AFL. Yeah, it uh, should be fascinating stuff going on over the weekend, certainly further down the league as well. Obviously, Everton in action against Aston Villa on Saturday. We will, of course, talk about that and our European hopes after that win at Arsenal, uh, which feels like ages ago now with that Friday night match. Uh, but we're going to start off with something um, important and something that is pretty disappointing, actually, that it's got to happen. But um, it's been confirmed, obviously, it was confirmed last week that uh, sort of a coalition of English footballers, largest governing bodies, including the FA, the Premier League, the NFL, are going off social media for this weekend. Uh, it starts on Friday, and this is sort of in a, obviously in solidarity with some of the, the racist comments um, that unfortunately has punctured the entire football season, really. It's been going on for a lot of, lot of times now where 
black players and mixed race players are, are being abused after games. Um, it's something that we're going to be doing as well. So this is from Friday, April 30th until um, so 3 p.m. on Friday uh, from to, until Monday, May the 3rd. Uh, Dave, I'll come to you first on this one, mate. It's not, not really something we've spoken about this week. Obviously, we've had a, a lot to go through with the the Arsenal results and, and that kind of thing and we have to cover all that. Um, but this is something we probably should have addressed already by now, to be honest. But um, it's quite sad we've got to this this situation, isn't it, really, where you know the, the, the governing bodies in football and the clubs themselves have, have got to take a stand on this as opposed to the people who actually run these social media companies? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's gone on for far too long, all of this, hasn't it? And I'm pleased to see these big companies sort of taking a stand to it, as they should well have done already by now. Um, I think what you, you find when stuff like this happens in society is, you know, we see it more and more regular until something's done. But I, I also see from the other side a lot of passing of the book as well from authorities, from organisations, people who generally should be taking the lead on this. Um, and for, for too long has it been allowed to fester and become a part of our society, particularly in football. And it's not just in football. I think that's the important thing to point out. I think a lot of people have put this down to societal issues. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people are pointing towards different particular groups, parties, whatever it is, a political movement maybe, uh, in light of some of the things we've seen in the last 18 months and certainly throughout the pandemic. My view is if you've got a voice and you've got a big voice like these places have that are going to be doing this, then you should be using it uh, proactively and not in a way that sort of stands by watches and then makes the decision. I think if you, you look at the, the clubs that have already been involved in this, and um, I was talking to Rick Paddy a couple of weeks ago about this, and uh, he was adamant at that time that more, I think powerful action was on its way, and it certainly has come about. He wasn't telling any lies there. Um, but he applauded those clubs like Swansea, like Birmingham, other clubs in the EFL, who basically took it on their own back to to make a stand to this. And uh, Swansea did it, of course. They were the first ones to sort of raise their head above the parapet. And then Birmingham followed suit, and then a couple of others did it. And the sort of question I asked him at the time was, you know, how sustainable can it be for clubs these days with you know, serious investors involved in their social media platforms. And ultimately, this comes at a price, this. We could all sit here and say, well, yeah, we, we should be doing this sort of thing. But you think of, uh, take our own club, for instance, you think of Everton when they put out their tweets. There's always something sponsored by it. It's sponsored by it. There's always something that it advertises. There's always, you know, even on the graphics for the team that come out, I think there's a bit of... Um, what do they call them? Who is it that sponsors Math? Uzmanov's uh, company. Oh, USM. Yeah. Yeah, there's always a bit of USM in there. There's well, even today, Dave, they put out that lovely video with Seamus Coleman speaking to the, the two supporters, and that was sponsored by Devante Tires and had the Devante Tires backdrop behind Seamus, didn't it? Correct. And 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 that's you know, it's gonna hit clubs in their pockets, which makes it all the more interesting, I think, as an onlooker that you, you think, well, how far are they willing to push the boat out here? I have to say, I'm surprised that. A movement such of this size has come about, given the reasons that you know there's, there's corporate sponsorship involved at every single level. I think we've seen, you know, some clubs have got bedsheet suppliers and stuff like that, haven't they? Really random ones. Um, you can get anything sponsored these days if you're a Premier League football club. So to, to, to boycott your social media for an extended period of time must be quite the financial hit to swallow for, for several clubs. Um, so I, I think you need to doff your cap where it's due here and that, that those clubs need to be applauded, particularly the ones who stuck their head out a little bit earlier than others. But then, you know, the, the other side of that argument does then become, well, I, I, how long are we going to do this for? I know it's, what is it, initially four days, is it, Matt? Yeah, so it's from three o'clock on Friday until effectively midnight on Sunday night. Yeah, it's, well, three days then that we're going to do it for, which is fantastic. It, it really you know, makes a point. But does it stop people signing into Twitter and making another account? Does it stop someone on Instagram commenting on uh, some of these, you know, if somebody hasn't put the sentence to private on their Instagram account, does it stop individuals coming out with more horrific racial abuse? No, it doesn't. And that ultimately lies with these social media accounts. Now, 
is the hope in the? I, I just want to get a clear picture of what the hope to achieve from this is. Creating a message, standing by it, and getting collective agreement from everybody. That's great for the period in which it's going to be taking place. But beyond that, I'm sitting there thinking, well, could, could, can football clubs be able to sustain that? Can they stay off social media while this is still going on? I think the answer to that is no, because like I said, there's huge financial repercussions. This will cost clubs this weekend to varying levels if they're not able to to uh, to post on their social accounts. Yeah. Um, and then, so, so and then it, goes back, it goes back to the conclusive point that I made then, that these idiots can still go and do it afterwards. So I think we're at a point where, <clears throat> yeah, it's a line in the sand. It's it's football clubs coming together. It's associations coming together. It's massive TV companies coming together. That's all well and good. But whilst you're still able to do it afterwards, I, I sort of worry that when midnight hits on Sunday, these idiots, the, the way they think, might well then go on and say, well, let's have a flurry of, flurry of racial activity directed towards these places and let's show that it's not gone away in some sort of ironic, really pathetic yeah. attempt at humour, if you get what I mean, from the situation. So, um, yeah, initially applaud everyone involved. Obviously, we're going to be getting involved with, it, with the Blue Room. But I, I do wonder what's next, because that question, I think, almost needs to be answered now than it does on Sunday or Monday when we're assessing the fallout. Yeah, and Connor, when we, when we said before the show we're going to speak about this, <clears> you said it's something that you're going to be getting involved in and, and you know I, I do agree with Dave there I think ultimately when it comes to these sorts of issues in, in the long term being silent and, and stopping doing things isn't necessarily the answer but it does sort of feel as though at the moment you know the, the situation is, is so dire that a step like this where it's almost like a, a step back with the hope of taking a few steps forward where this step back can, can unite people uh, can bring people together can get you know, the discussion flowing again after um, the boycott's over. It feels like a, a necessary, if you know, albeit quite undesirable step for, for people to take. Yeah, it, it does. I, I completely agree with what Dave just said there. I think I've always kind of had the opinion of, you know, when when, we, when this has been harassed and spoken about in, in terms of, you know, my opinion was, well, there's only one way to, to kind of make your feelings known and that's not use something. You know, if I think it's the kind of it's the same thing, isn't it? If you're unhappy with any type of service or anything that you, you're using, then you, you, don't, you don't you don't use that you don't use that company to do it again. And I think that was this is the only way where you can make a proper stand and you can say, well, well you know, we won't use it. But as you got Dave said, I think it's got to probably last more than another couple of days that, that's planned. I think there's got to be something now brought in where you know there's, there's some sort of action or some sort of you know point in which you know it, it, it happened again because it's great taking a stand and you've got to admire you know the fact that everyone has taken a stand and, and the way they have. Across the across not just the world of football, but across the world of sport, the way the way it's it's gone across today. But I just I just think it's I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit naive, but I think it's going to take more than this for actually for actually yeah. things to change and for actually things to really come, you know, really come come the way that people want them to. Because yeah, it's great not using it, but you know, it's four days. I mean, you know, you, you look at social media. You know, yeah, it'll be it'll be strange. I think for people over the next four, you know, three or four days, not to. To see the, the, the timelines fucked up as much as they usually are. But then, you know, come Monday, Tuesday, we'll go back to normal and everything will be back the way it was. And, yeah. you know, the, the second exit of the Champions League next week, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll all be sat there at eight, nine o'clock at night, you know, debating what's going on and debating, you know, who's possibly going to be in the final. So, as much as I understand, I think we need to do more. And this needs to be not the start of changing the start of things, you know, putting pressure on the social media companies, just exactly like it was, you know, with the, the ESL, you know. We've all spoken on the cars about that night, you know, the company I work for went you know, really strong on it in terms of their front pages and and, and their coverage. And, but for me, you know, it, it's got to be the start. You've got to you now use that as a kind of a foundation to kick on and, and call for more change and use that, you know, power that you kind of generated to call for more change. And I think this is what the boycott does. I think for me, I think it'll be good if it's the first step in a long kind of road in which we're going to force change more than just a one-off event in the hope that things will change because I think as a one-off event, yeah, it'll be good for four, you know, four or five days maybe, but by this time next week, we'll be back to normal, we'll be back on social media. It's got to be the first part of a, a sequence of events that will put pressure on them companies to, to change their ways and, and how they operate. Yeah, I think that's that's the, the, hopefully the important step that comes out of this, Paul. But I think it's, you know, Connor's you know, just talking about there, about how weird it's going to be that over the, the, the next few days and, you know, you, you think about, you know, 
the, the, the team news for the match on Saturday. You know, typically it's seven o'clock. You'd be on, you'd be on Twitter having a look to see the, the what the clubs put out for the the official website. I mean, it's that 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 sort of thing won't even be there, will it? So hopefully it'll knock a few people out of kilter a little bit this weekend, and and you know make people think a little bit more about the way in which they, they use and hopefully make the, the companies that run these these social media giants think a little bit more about the way in which they, they monitor this this type of behaviour. Yeah, I mean, I think if it gives you know, uh, people the weekend to reflect on you know the, the issue of racism in football, then it, it's been a worthwhile gesture. Um, I mean, I, I do have some, some concerns that, you know, has been highlighted there by, by Connor and Dave, that, you know, uh, it's a very short period of time for action two to three days you know uh, it's, it's happening towards the end of the season it's happening on a bank holiday weekend I, I'm not sure that's the most effective weekend for, for getting a message across um, I, I think as well that you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit concerned with doing this in isolation I mean why was it not a pan-European thing why is it just the English League in isolation why are we not even liaised with the Scottish League on this um, so I, I, th- you know, I, I think the message needs to be I'm not sure the silence is the best way to get the message across. I mean, any, any step of progress is the right way forward, but I definitely think more vocal action needs to be taken. I think you know, social media companies have a huge responsibility here. I think so, so, so the clubs themselves, I mean, the, the, there comes a point when clubs have to decide what, what is it that drives a moral integrity or financial profit. And I think you see with the ESL, the way most clubs are inclined in that respect. So I think it's a, it's a it, it needs raising on a far bigger, higher profile. I think you know, at the start of next season, for argument's sake, if all the European leagues had a similar type of action on the first open game of the season, that might make a far more powerful impact than it, than just this, this weekend in isolation. Going back to what Dave said as well, my, my worry is you know, one minute past midnight on Sunday, into Monday morning, you just know all the bars going to yeah. get out on social media. And, and then you think, well, what was the point of just stopping for three days? Because you just built up three days of festering the people just got to come out and launch yeah. and launch all their horrible views again. So I think it needs a far more nuanced and considered approach. And if we just go back to, you know, to kind of Everton as a club, I mean, there, there, there's no denying the fact that in the 80s and 90s, we had a reputation as a racist club. I, I remember the When Saturday Club magazine used to produce a walk chart at the start of every season. And I've still got them off in 94, 95 with a picture of every club and a little, little blurb about them. In the Everton Square, it's got a picture of a black player with a big cross, cross over the face saying, no blacks allowed. That was kind of the, the perception of Everson in the 90s with, with, with the media down south. So you look at what, what Everson had done as a club in terms of changing racial perceptions, and that was just on a local level. Um, you, you, you kind of think, well, you know, you know, if one club can change how it's perceived and can take action to, to promote a more racially inclusive fan base, then it, can't, it, it surely can't be beyond the means of football authorities with all their power, with all their influence to affect the change in society. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, actually, and hopefully this can be a starting point for that um, over the next few days. But I think, as all the lads have mentioned, there uh, lot to well, a lot of work to do still on this issue. Uh, just before we get into speaking about um, the weekend and you know some of the, the the plays in the senior squad, I just wanted to quickly speak to you, Connor, about uh, the under 18s this week. Obviously, I think the the youth cup when the under-18s are doing well and it gets everybody a little bit excited at the, the manner in which Everton got past Chelsea and Manchester City. You would think of what eight of the last, last nine FA Youth Cups um, in the, the, the previous two rounds um, got a lot of people excited. Unfortunately, came up short against West Brom uh, on Tuesday night, I think it was, after going ahead. Um, but, but overall, how, how do you think they'll look back on, on this campaign? Um, seems to be one of those where the players would have would have learned plenty from. Yeah, I think you know they'll be immensely proud to have you know gone to Manchester City and gone to and Chelsea and, and won the way they did. I think you know they they, they were massive massive highlights for for Paul Street side. I think you know it was it was you know no one no one gave them a chance to win at Manchester City, so they gave them a chance to win at Chelsea, and but you know, they did both times and they, they did well. And I think you know the game the game of the night it was it was a strange one really because I don't think Everton really on this second half showing I don't think Everton deserved to lose the game. I thought you know they they they've done well, especially the second half. They you know they 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 created chances. You know how they never equalised at the end when they you know, they pretty much threw everything but everything in the kitchen sink up. That's probably you know you didn't think any equaliser was coming, but it didn't about them. And in the end, you know a wonderful kind of kind of stole the time. I think it'll just be a case of 
it'd be a bit of regret, I think, for the lads and, and Paul Tate because how important the, the, the hurdles of Chelsea match the City. I think there was a real sense that you know, this this could be Everton G. I think you know if you're gonna you know they, they say you've got to beat the best to, you know to, to win any competition. And I think the general consensus was when Everton got past Manchester City and Chelsea that they 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 probably genuinely beat the two best teams in the competition. Um, but you know it wasn't for me. And I think it, while I look back, there was a huge sense of pride how far they've gotten you know, the results they claimed on the way. I think there'll be a huge kind of disappointment that it comes to end the way did it at the Hawthorns on, on on Tuesday and I think you know when, when Porte probably sits back and, and reviews you know, you'll probably see this as a, a massive missed opportunity for what could have been for his ever side you know not just you know the, the two games against Manchester City and Chelsea which is the ones people talk about you know even in Wigan when they were you know they were 2-0 down after 20 minutes they come back and over after extra time you know it, it kind of you know you kind of start getting that kind of name on the trophy type Especially after to be Chelsea and you know the home making a mistake for Chelsea in the last minute, you know, you're kind of thinking this could be the year, and this could be the time where Everton finally put you know, those FA Cup demons to, to bed. But it wasn't to be, and I think you know, when they look back now, I think they'll, they'll, they'll probably look at this as a massive missed opportunity, but you know, they'll be proud and, and, and of the experience and, and, and what they've achieved to get to where they did, and they've got to look at this now and build on it and, and look to take it forward into next year. Yeah, there seems to be a few talented lads in that group as well. Obviously, they were missing Tyler on Yango, who's out with a, a serious injury as well. I felt like he was a, a, a big miss in this game for them, having done so well earlier in the round. But yeah, fingers crossed it can be a learning experience for those lads, and we'll see a few more of them in the under 23s. And who knows, maybe around the first team set up next season. Uh, moving on to, to have a chat about the first team, uh, we will speak about Villa shortly and what we're expecting from that. And, and where we think Everton are this season. But uh, just, just something that caught my eye this, this week, Dave, and I'm sure it caught Paul's eye as well, because I know he, he scans the Colombian press pretty much on a on a daily basis uh, for stories about Everton and Hammers <laughs> and, and uh, Yerry Mina. But there was a story um, in the Colombian version of Marker this week that, that Everton were looking sort of as a priority to get uh, James Rodriguez tied down to a new contract. So he described him in the piece as a pillar, uh, to quote of what Carlo Angelotti and Marcel Brands want to do. Um, obviously, we're getting to a situation now where the season's getting close to the end. He's got one year left on his deal, and I think Everton can activate a third, depending on mm. how many games he plays. There's, I think there's some clauses in the contract that automatically renew it, depending on how many games he plays. Um just, just sort of overall on that, is, is that something you'd like to see Everton do to, to get him tied down to, to fresh terms, maybe shore up that, that third year of, of what would have been his deal? Or are you quite happy with, with where things are with it at the moment? I'd, I'd like to get him tied down. I think we've we've been a club that's often waited a long time to get players sort of done and dusted and get all of that admin side of things under control before a summer of, oh, we hope, will be quite hefty recruitment because we certainly need it. Uh, I think it's a no-brainer that we keep hold of him as well. I think you see, I, I think it, I've, I've seen his detractors, Matt, to, to be fair. I've seen a few sort of talking about his impact on games and, you know, his, 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 maybe a, a distinct lack of physical ability um, given possibly his background, where he comes from, given the type of player he is. I have to say, I think in the last month or so, he's proved all of that wrong. And I think we've seen a different Hammers when he's took to the field. I think he's been physical. He's tried to to put himself about on the football pitch, not just the usual guile and craft and all the skills in the world that you want to see from a player of that ilk and all the stuff we gen- generally lord about him. But I think we've seen a different side of him that has almost been one to, to put two fingers up towards certain uh, people who would maybe stereotype him as a certain type of player. I think... Certainly, Arsenal. The game before we played Arsenal was it Palace? Was it um, Spurs? Spurs. Sorry, we we've seen him throw himself into tackles. We've seen him throw himself about physically and generally try and go shoulder to shoulder with some players. And I, I think he's looked really, really fit. And I, I say that with a surprised tone because I I didn't think we'd see that level of commitment from him. I do have to admit that. And again, not trying to bog myself down with those who would stereotype the type of player he is. But it, it, some of the things we see him doing on the pitch, exceptional as they are, it, it always felt to me like there had to be a particular type of game or scenario where he shone more. And I think in recent weeks, he might well have educated himself in that regard, in terms of being a much more multifaceted type of player. 
we've seen him do different things. We see him tracking back now. On occasion, you know, there's a there's there's a lot more to James Rodriguez than the, the, the guy we bought and the one we thought we were getting. I think, and I've been pleasantly surprised by that. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I think it's a no-brainer that you go and sign him up as soon as possible. Um, I don't think his powers are waning at all. I think there'll be an element of game management with them, as there has been already um, under Ancelotti. I mean, I think at the start when he first came in, I think there was an idea that even if he was half fit, he would play because he'd give us something more than the alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'd like to see that. Uh, someone pay attention to that this summer in terms of the depth we have in that area of the pitch or wherever we want to play him. I'd like to see somebody, a little bit of a, a prodigy-like um, figure come in that he could help bring along a little bit. Uh, much the same way Leighton Baines ended this time with us. I'd like to see that in terms of with Luca Dean. There was quite clearly a lot to learn from Leighton Baines if you're a young defender coming in. Uh, and even if you're an experienced European one like Luca Dean, there's still plenty to, to look at, I think, and, and admire about a player like uh, Leighton Baines. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I would have no qualms if he saw his career out with us at all. I don't think he will. Um, I think he might well stay the extra year, but I could see him returning to his homeland to, to see how his playing days and then saunter off into a, a glorious retirement. But yeah, I'd like to see him stay at Everton, Matt. Uh, Paul, what, what about you? I mean, I'm sure you you definitely would have, uh, those reports definitely would have caught your eye earlier this week. Um, I, don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of quite happy where things are at the moment. I think we've seen a, a fitter Hamed Rodriguez because he was allowed the time to, re- to recover from his injury. But um, I think one of the, the benefits of signing the contract that he did is that Everton are, are sort of in the driving seat with this still, aren't they? They can add the extra year on if they want. And they've got those incentives and those you know, stipulations in the deal that mean if he does play so many games, then he, then he stays for longer. So I don't know, I, I, I would have been quite as much a, a rush as maybe Dave suggested he would be. I think I, I go more with Dave than you on this one, Matt. I, I, I think to me it's a no-brainer. It's good to have Hammers Rodriguez extend his contract for another year. He'll be 32 by the time that extension comes to an end. So, you know, to me, he's still in peak physical condition and can still offer the club quite a bit as well. And um, you know, from a selfish point of view, you know, if I'm back at Goodison Park for the next two seasons, I want to see Hammers Rodriguez in the flesh. Now, I feel as though I've been deprived of watching one of our most talented players in this century. I've not been, I've not been able to see him live. Um, I think as well, you know, Dave made a good point there about how his physicality appears to improve as well. And although some people have kind of criticised him for, you know, um, a lack of you know hardness on the pitch, maybe. He's never been one of these players who goes down yelping and screaming every time he's tackled, like some players make a living doing in the Premier League. So I think he, he, he's stronger in that respect than what he's given credit for. And certainly since he's returned to full fitness, the last four or five games, he's, he's looked a far better player. I think, as I mentioned previously, I mean, the Colombian press has never forgiven Virgil van Dijk for hitting him in the testicles, and they put all his injury problems <laughs> dipped down to that instance. So, you know, I always love it that, that you, you reference there, Matt, the Marca Com Colombia press, you know, mm. and their van Dijk is a hate figure. So I've always, I've always admired them for that as well. But <laughs> c- certainly, you know, it, um, he's a class player, you know, as Dave alluded to there, you know, if he, if he can pass on some of his skills and techniques to some of the younger players, brilliant. And sometimes when you watch the match and you think, you know, he hasn't done it for five minutes, he would just produce a pass that no one else would conjure up on the pitch. And you think, wow, that's worth the admission money alone. And uh, I, mean, I also think as well, they you know, having someone like Rodriguez in the team also attracts other players to come and join Everson. I mean, I'm sure if, if the rumours of Philip Coutinho come to fruition, I'm sure the fact that Hamas is still at Everson would be a factor to draw them to the club as well. And if you're talking purely simple money financial terms, Everson's profile has been raised so much in South America by the acquisition of Hamas Rodriguez. We've generated a whole new fan base out there. Financially, you know, he's probably justified his weekly wages just by the added interest we've attracted from that constant. So to me, it's a no-brainer. And, you know, I don't see that we have anything to lose. It, you know, it's not like the situation with Paul Gascoigne in the early 2000s where you got an ageing, fading, injury-prone footballer who had nothing to offer. The, the, James Rodriguez is a class act. You know, he, he's played in the Bundesliga. He's played in La Liga. He knows his way. He, he knows his way around the football pitch. I keep him. Yeah, I think it's it, you know it's it's interesting, Connor, because I think going back to sort of what Dave said there. You know, I, I sort of anticipated there'd be times this season where. 
he didn't really look in invested in all this. But it's it it does sort of feel as though as the, the season's got on, the maybe maybe at the moment he's not playing quite as well as he was in, in the early weeks of the season in regards to, to what he was doing on the ball and the way in which he was knitting the play together. But you know, in terms of his, his off the ball work and you know his tenacity and sort of feeling like he's he's bought into this, it feels like that sort of got more and more throughout the season, which you know is is, is encouraging because I think you know the, the fear for me was that after that blistering start, that we you know if things didn't go well, we'd see a player lose interest and start wondering why he was at Everton, wondering why he wasn't playing for a team like Real Madrid. But you can see with the, the work rate he's putting in, with the way in which he, he celebrates the goals, and you know this is maybe this is just a bit of. of Football as team scores goals, so football is happy about that. But he, de- he certainly doesn't seem like someone who's on, on the outside of this looking in. He feels like he's very invested in it all. Yeah, he does, and I think that's the, the big thing for me. Was that when he kind of got that that injuries, and he, he kind of he wasn't available. Was he over Christmas when he was in the house, and, and Carlo was kind of saying one thing, and then he wouldn't be back on Carlo that he could be. And I think I think everyone kind of got that little bit of nervousness in them, didn't he? Thinking. Or maybe something's not quite right for you. Maybe, you know, like you say, then maybe he's thinking, this isn't really for me. I should be playing at a higher level. And then when he does come back, it's a bit like, is he going to come back the same play he was when he starts the season? But I think, you know, you look at the last couple of weeks, he's, for me, he certainly showed his, his class and he certainly, he certainly showed his worth and just how good he is and why I wasn't so lucky to have him. I think the reason why I would give him the extension, and I think I look to time down is because. I just don't think Everton should really be put themselves in a position where they kind of let it drag on and then, you know, they could be in a battle. I think, you know, too many times before with, with this football club, we've been in a battle with, with players, you know, even, even as far back as you know, Dan Gosling, for instance, where, you know, they, they let it run. Let it run. Oh, gentleman's agreements, wasn't it? We had and then there's a gentleman's agreement and then you basically, you know, fair play start basically turns around at least, you know, <laughs> After the gentleman's agreement, nothing was forthcoming. So why would they stick around? You know, and that's the thing. I think, I think, I think if Everton are going to show that the change a bit, you know, and that, that that the club's approach has changed, and that we are, you know, become more maybe professional, a little bit too harsh, but more you know, ruthless in the way we do we, we do our dealings. Then you know, given how much we get an extension now, to me, makes perfect sense because it does show that we mean business. It does show that we're not hanging on rounds and letting things drag out. Because you know what, what we don't want to get is. In, Hamas has two really good seasons over the next couple of years, and then all of a sudden his contracts come to an end, and it's, it's you know where will he stay? Will he go? He, he starts. He's open to offers. You know, I think they're just, in my opinion, I think everyone's just got to shut all that up now, time down, make sure that everyone knows that he's their player and he, he's here for the long run. Because I do agree with Paul. I think you know the, the more players we get off that milk, the, the, the better we're going to be. And I think the only way we're going to get players off the milk is with Carl Ancelotti in charge and, and players like Hamas Rodriguez and others certainly being along. Being, being alongside the project and, and being, you know, at the forefront of everything good that I want to do. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love him to be here for the full three years of, of his contract, don't get me wrong. It's, uh, it'll be, be fantastic if he's still playing, you know, maybe even looking ahead to a season of family more of us, who knows. But uh, yeah, I'm sure that'll be something that's sorted out a little bit further down the line. Uh, in the more short term, though, we have got a match, actually got a match on a Saturday, which is nice after a few Fridays and a few Mondays in a row. Um, it's Aston Villa. Goodison Park on Saturday, and Dave. One thing I was thinking about, and we speaking about this a little bit on on Subs Weekly yesterday, sort of thinking about the team that, that may play, and thinking back to that that Arsenal match. Would you be surprised if if Fabian Delph was brought into the eleven for this one? Mm. I, I really wish I could say yes to that map, but no, I, I don't think it would be too surprising to be honest with you because. I mean, it was raised eyebrows when it happened at the Emirates, wasn't it? We all looked at each other and, and we're thinking, what's going on here? What are the um, socks all about? Yeah, no idea <laughs> what was going on there. No idea what it was what, what he was doing when he decided to throw his leg uh, at a ball that was frizzed <laughs> into him that ends up going backwards and completing a successful pass. Like, I mean, Like one of your golf shots that, Dave? I so think it was, man. Ball ends up behind you, yeah? Like one of my slices, I think it was, mate, yeah. Um, <laughs> Look, it, it, if it, you know, it was hard not. I think for the people I watched it with and the people I've spoken to since, it felt almost like a novelty esque substitution, didn't it? I mean, Tom Davis was the obvious one, wasn't he? You, you think he comes on the pitch there and shows a game up for us, but Delph, come on, and I, I don't really know what I mean <laughs> to be honest, because at times he <laughs> looked like somebody who just won a competition to come on for the last half hour of a Premier League game. And then there were a couple of bits and pieces where I thought that actually looks all right, you know. 
And look, he's well short of, of, of match match fitness, isn't he? And look, if it's serious about really breaching this top four this season, then I don't think he can start. But I don't know, Carlo seems to have a real infatuation with him when he's fit to get him involved in the team. Um, I wouldn't like to see him start, I have to admit. But our hand might be forced. And if Carlo opts to choose him ahead of Tom Davis, I think that's a really peculiar one because you're making a roll for your own back there if Everton don't go on and win that game uh, or, or, or you know perform well or Delft doesn't perform well. So, look, I'd, I'd love it if we kept it simple and just put Tom back in there. But, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that surprised if he starts now because he does seem to have the managers here, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe maybe says something a little bit about Tom Davis as well, Paul, with the manager maybe still has mm. a few concerns about him because I suppose um, on Friday night in that situation, obviously Delve comes on when it's nil-nil. Everton's season is is pretty much on the line at that point, isn't it? And he's he's going to a lad in Delve that's not played or not played a match or kicked the ball in anger in the Premier League game since December ahead of someone in Tom Davis who we could probably all sit here and say, was one of our best players in the win at Anfield, one of our best players in a draw at Manchester United. Um, a little bit harsh on Tom, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'll, let you, I'll let you a phrase there, Mark, you know, about you know, uh, Delph hasn't kicked the ball in anger since December. I can't be called him kicking a ball in anger since December. I never saw But, I mean, going back to your original point with Tom Davis, yeah, I mean, you know, one thing... We talked about this a few weeks ago, the fact that people kind of forget as well that Tom Davis is a born and bred Evertonian. He's an Everton fan. He loves the club. He's got a level of identification with Everton Football Club that Fabian Delph can't even begin to dream of. So, And I think as well, given the way Davis's form has come on this season, to me, I'd agree with David. Uh, it, he was, I, I thought he was definitely the obvious choice to come on as opposed to, to Fabian Delph, who yeah. maybe maybe we put him on to, to increase his, his transfer value in the summer. I don't know. I couldn't see any other logical reason for him coming onto the pitch. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, Tom Davis was the, was the answer there. And, you know, I'm, I'm, as David alluded to there, I think we all just put our heads in our hands when his first his first contribution was to get a yellow card. And you kind of think it's echoes of the Watford game yeah. of the previous yeah. season, where he's going to get two yellows in about 10 minutes and get himself sent off. So uh, I just think he's a risk to play at the moment. Obviously, Carlo has, has his reasons for picking him. Maybe in training, he's absolutely brilliant. I don't know. But uh, I still need a lot of convincing that that, that guy's got any future than ever since yes. What did you make of it, Connor, um, when you saw Fabian standing on the, the sideline with the wrong socks on, yellow card after 30 seconds, as, <laughs> as, as the, the lads had said there? I mean, it's, it, like, I feel like Paul said there, there's, there's clearly something about Delft that the manager likes, isn't it? Yeah, uh, going back to the, the yellow card and the socks, I just laughed. I just laughed and then. You know, as for the, the 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 pass that wasn't a pass that turned out to be a pass, I think that just kind of summed up Fabian Delph's <laughs> effort. You know, I think, I think in terms of course they were like not Fabian Delph's future and, and, and you know being convinced. I think the fact that Carlin Chelsea continues to pick every time he is, is a clear evidence that he's got some sort of future ever because you look at you look at Carlo this year and you know let's be honest, Carlo's been ruthless for a lot of players, you know. There's been a lot of players who've been bombed and, and haven't gone and haven't really had a look in. I think, you know, you look at Josh King, for instance, who's come in, you know, he's not really had a play. Bernard spent large parts of, of, of the campaign frozen out. Awobi was frozen out for large parts of the campaign. So Carlo, when he wants to be, has is, is been extremely ruthless. But, you know, this season, I wasn't really high because they're not, they're not key players for Everton and they're not probably the big names. And, and in some sense, I think a lot of fans are quite happy to see them lads frozen out. But he has been ruthless. But I think the fact that whenever whenever Fabian Delft's been fit and available, Carl's always found a way to either get him in or get him on at some point. So I wouldn't be surprised, if, I don't want to, but I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't start on Saturday. And I think, you know, I think it's quite true as well. I think Carl could want someone in the midfield who's got a, a bit of experience and a bit of mouse. I think the way he kind of always turns to Zelf when he's not there, he's a team, I find some sort of leadership that he brings to, to, to the team. Mm-hmm. And, I don't think we all know if really see it, but he clearly does. And I think, you know, the fact he does continue to get picked probably says that he has got a future. But I think it's a big few months for, for Carl and coming up, though, because I think, you know, for, for me personally, I think um, 
he's won't be one of them ones who's fighting to stay at the cup, but in my opinion, no longer. And if we had to get to the bottom of someone, then we might be making up six or quite a series or because of the club is just a club. But I would be surprised to see him start. And if you look at the now, then it looks like he has got a future ahead of him, which I think a lot of us are surprised by. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Just sort of just to finish off then on onto that game on Saturday. Just just overall, um, so sort of one of those days when I look, looked at it, you know, after we've beaten Liverpool and you know we're in the top four, and you're thinking about the run in. It sort of felt like you know that that's going to be a, a really tough one against Villa. Obviously, we've got to play them twice. Who knows when that that other game's going to get get organised? But uh, taking our, our, it does sort of feel as though we're. We're meeting them at a good time. Obviously, no Jack Grealish involved. Their hopes of European football have faded a lot since he's been out the team. I feel like they're carrying a, f- a few tired bodies. And I know they've got the threats in the likes of, of Watkins in particular, but it does just feel as though while we're clinging on to our season, certainly not upwardly, not got upward momentum by any means with the way we've been playing at times in recent weeks, but while we're still clinging on in there, it feels like theirs is just really beginning to fizzle out now. Yeah, and, and I think they'll be pretty happy with the campaign overall, Matt. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I've enjoyed watching them this season. I think they're a really good team, exciting team to watch, uh, particularly when Creelish is involved. I'm a massive fan of his. I really hope we see the best of him at the Euros, and that's if he goes, which is a quite a staggering admission. I think it was from Southgate or one of the England team that said that he, his, his position's up for grabs. I, I disagree. I think if he's fit, he's one of the first names on the team sheet for me. I think he's an outstanding young player. Um, and I'd love to see him shine on the big stage like that. Um, yeah, I mean, their season's been a strange one, really, hasn't it? And they've suffered a little bit to more of an extent than we have of constantly having a couple of games in hand. Um, yeah. and, and and I've hated that from ourselves this season. I've hated the fact that we're looking at leaders. I'm even doing it right now. You know, <laughs> we're in eighth place. If we win, we we, we uh, move level on points with West Ham in fifth and go three behind Chelsea. But it's so hard to get into that mentality of having a game in hand and having to win it. And we've handled it quite poorly this season, if we're honest. You know, we should easily be above Liverpool and we're still two behind them with a game in hand. So, yeah, I mean, they've suffered a little bit more from that, I think. Because I remember at one stage, they had like two or three games in hand constantly for, for a good few months. And you look at the table and you think, wow, you know, Villa win those two, then they're right in the mix for the top four and their season petered out. Ours, I think, was in threat of, of petering out. They've actually, I think, to their credit, Everton have sort of laid down the gauntlet to themselves and the players internally. Have, it looks to me have, have, have sort of agreed that they're going to give it a go right to the final day here. Um, and I think they owe it to themselves, as much as they do to us as fans, to, to really push as hard as they possibly can to get what they can out of this season. Because, I mean, if you, you look that that Arsenal game in isolation breaking a duck there that's what 25 years old yeah um, is, is is fantastic we've done it at Spurs you know we've done it at Anfield and it just I, I think it'd be fitting for us to have something to take away from this season other than oh well we've improved in our league position from the campaign before under Marco Silva uh, mostly so yeah I mean it's a really interesting one I think that it's side that can cause major problems when they're on at Villa um, and, and Everton seem to have it's always very close these games isn't it and Villa over the years yeah. seem to have had their number on us but yeah I agree I think if there's a time to have your sort of feet up and looking forward to a nice staycation as they will be over the summer months then uh, now would be the time it'd be nice if they are thinking like that but I very much doubt it and I think they've got a lot of players who, who can damage Everton if we're not too careful yeah and it's, it's one of them Paul where you know <clears throat> For, for the first time in a while, like I said, we'll be playing on Saturday. Liverpool um, go to United on Sunday. Spurs play on Sunday as well, albeit they've got Sheffield United at home. So for a few hours at least, we might be able to see what the table actually looks like if Everton win this game. And we've been speaking about for for so long, albeit we'll be on a game less than them all on, on Sunday. But, you know, a win... A win on Saturday and we can go up to six. Well, we will go up to six in the table. We need to win 6 0 to go ahead of West Ham in the table, which uh, feels unlikely with the way we've been attacking at the moment. But, you know, it, it would be nice to be sat there on Saturday night having ended that this home run we've been on uh, in sixth place and just with our feet up on Sunday being able to watch those other games. Yeah, I agree, Matt. I think 
2021, so it's been forever, as Dave alluded to there with all these games in hand and chances that we had, it's, 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 chasing this top four place has always been like chasing the, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We, we're, we're always there, but we're never quite there. Whenever the chance comes, we never quite seem to jump in and take it. So it, it's, a real, it's a real good opportunity for us this weekend to end the hope to improve the poor home performance, get three points. I, I always love fixing against Aston Villa. I, I love the fact they know it's the longest running fixture in English football. Yeah. That's, a real, that's a real source of pride to me. You know, It's something you know, clubs that's our history kind of refer back to. And I think, as Dave alluded to as well, Villa and Grealish are a different team. So uh, I, I, I'm reasonably confident for Saturday. My only concern is... I saw some dread that Wesley came on the substitute after he being did. out for about 12 months in their last yeah. home game. And you just know, he scored against us at Villa Park last, last August, September. <laughs> you just have this dreadful feeling you might just do it again. Has he scored against us since? Has he scored another goal since that? No, I really has, no. I thought, no, no. He, he, he can do it like a bit, but is it Esteban Fuertes just got his only Premier League yeah. goal against Everton <laughs> for Derby? The new Ricky Van Wolfswinkle. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You've acknowledged, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a growing number with, with that accolade. Corrado Brabby. Oh, God, yeah. The Blackburn. And the, uh, of course, the one-all game we got us in last season, I think it was Walcott's last ever goal for Everton as well, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it was, yeah. actually, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. yeah. He's, uh, Wesley has scored. He's got five Premier League goals last season. So. Did he? Yeah, there we yeah, go. So. He's only made one appearance all season. Uh, Connor, how, how are you feeling ahead of this one, mate? Um, what, what, what have you made of Villa recently? I agree, Dave. I think they've been really hit and miss after you. I think their, their whole campaign have really good spells and really good kinds of moments where you think, geez, you know, they, I mean, I think first and foremost, you've got to give Dean Smith enormous credit yeah. because I think when you, when you consider, you know, when we went into lockdown this time last year, you, you, you know, there, there was many suggestions that he wasn't just fighting for his job, he was going to lose his job and that the pandemic saved his job in, in some respects because, you know, it kind of, <laughs> for force to get suspended, kind of meant that it was a bit ludicrous, you know, more the world's a Premier League management to sack someone um, and try and bring someone So I think you've got to give them enormous credit for when you know, they, they, they restarted and then they managed to keep themselves up and then, you know, this year he, he recruited quite well and some like, you know, the likes of Ollie Watkins, I think has been a, a really, really good sign and, and, and they, you know, they've had some, like I said, they've had some really impressive moments but I think since, I know it's, and I think, you know, Aston Villa fans hate people saying it, but I think since Jack Grealish got injured, I think they just fell off a cliff, haven't they? I think his importance to the, the Aston Villa team and his importance to the way they play and just everything about the way he is, I think it's just been massively missed. And I think, you know, I think it's quite telling as well that um, even in Grealish's absence, Ross Barkley hasn't really had a look in either, which I think is quite telling for him personally. So I think they've been really mixed, but I think... This is the type of game where you know Everton have simply got to win. If they've got any aspirations of finishing the top six, let alone the top four, the top six, or you know, the top seven. Essentially, depends on how, how the cup final goes. They they they've got to they've got to win. They've got to beat Aston Villa. I mean, you know, you look at the home games they've got left now before the end of the season. They've got to take maximum points in all. They've got to have any real chance of, of finishing a European place this season. And it's got to start this weekend. And I think you know, hopefully, we'll see kind of the defensive grit of Arsenal. Match with the attack and flair of what we saw against Tottenham, and we have the complete performance. Dave, do you want to make one more point before we wrap up? Yeah, sorry, sorry. I was going to say I was, I was just been looking at the fixtures whilst the guys were talking there. You know, this this top four carrot that's been dangled in front of us for so long. I mean, you could see this going to the wire. I'm just looking at Chelsea's fixtures right now. Uh, you've got Fulham, which you give them on Saturday, but then you go to Manchester City. They have Arsenal at home and then they've got Leicester at home. They go to Aston Villa on the final day. I mean, I don't know about you, and particularly when they'll have likely be a Champions League final on the horizon, certainly the second leg they've got, obviously, next week too. Chelsea's place at fourth, I think, is vulnerable. Um, you've got West Ham in fifth on 55, three behind them, and obviously Huddles with the game in hand. Can you imagine if it goes to a shootout at the London Stadium, Davy Moyes against... Against uh, Carlo Ancelotti for four. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? After all, uh, all the years we tried and the money to get back into that Champions League promised land, and we have to go to West Ham and beat them to try and do it. Um, but I, 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 you know, I could see it going all the way. I really could see it going all the way. Um, you know, you look at Liverpool as well. Obviously, in there, they've got a run of friendly fixtures. Um, Spurs similar to that as well aren't too difficult too. 
So, I, it, 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 you know, if someone said to you, you've got to go to City and get something on the final day right now to get fourth, would you take it? Oh, of course, yeah. 100%, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Watch us lose 5-0 to City. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do, do you know what, Dave, I'd, I'd feel... They, they could have only continued that day as well if they had the Champions League final. They could have... Yeah. A, a, good point, good get, point. Get the, get the trophy, party time, you know, hopefully. Because they'd have the league won by then, won't they? I mean, they'll be yeah. nothing. Going off and ride on that game, you, you, you can, can win it this weekend, can't they? Yeah, I think the thing that got me off the top four was I actually genuinely thought Liverpool had a really strong chance of making it back up their fixtures. Um, but I think they've got to win this weekend, so it's just, just like in the push because I think if they get beat the weekend and other results around them go against them, then I think they, they could kind of fall off yeah. a, bit of a, a bit of a cliff. I think that's yeah. it's a massive suspect. I think. Everyone presumes they beat Newcastle. Then you guys will be a bit of a free and after that they've got another run of four games where you expect to take maximum points. But I think they've got to win this weekend to keep but I think everyone, every team's got to win, haven't they? Or keep winning to have any chance because one one man is slip up it's so tight and it could cost you dearly. Yeah, um, it's going to be. T- I'd probably feel a bit more optimistic if our, if our goal difference was a bit better because yeah. our goal difference is yeah. just so much worse than everybody else yeah. in the, yeah. the, the top eight. And, you know, you sort of look at that Chelsea game and you say, right, if we win our game in hand, we can be three points behind them, but we're, we're basically four points behind them because their goal yeah. difference is 20 and ours is four. But the um, thing, thing is, man, when is this game in hand going to take place? I mean, no one knows when this starts from the game's being available. It's I mean, can you see a situation where that game takes place after the, after the end of the official season and it's all on that? I, I, I think you should have a penalty shootout at the end of this game on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and whoever, whoever, wins, whoever wins that, it's, effect, it's effectively the Villa Park fixture and they can just forget about it then because the, you've forgotten about it. So, uh, who knows? Uh, you were saying, boy, like when Everton play Villa, you're going you're gonna to love the next few weeks, mate, because there's going to be a yeah. couple of games in there. But, uh, but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. I really appreciate your time tonight as ever. Uh, fingers crossed the Blues get the business done at the weekend. Uh, full preview of that game uh, with Sam Tag from the Ranks FC podcast uh, channel about Villa and some very interesting stuff said about Ross Barkley as well. If you want to hear that, come and join us over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra. Uh, multiple Everton shows every single weekday. Looking forward to and looking back at all of our games. Mailbag coming up tomorrow as well. Looking forward to that to finish the week off. Uh, but yeah, hopefully Everton make it a great weekend on Saturday. Cheers to the lads again. Thanks very much for listening. We'll speak to you again soon here on the Blue Room. Cheers. Thanks, Ross. Cookie wants to be a professional wrestler. I'm Cookie Serratos and I'm 11 years old. She also wants to win all the medals. That's why Cookie and her family make every day count, squeezing out her best with GoGo Squeeze. Okay, Cookie, let's break for a GoGo Squeeze. GoGo Squeeze fruit on the go pouches are a nutritious snack made from 100% fruit with no sugar added. Go, Cookie! Because when you nurture your kids, you squeeze out the best in them. Squeeze out their best with GoGo Squeeze. Not a low calorie food. Products range from 11 to 13 grams of sugar and 60 to 70 calories per serving. Sports Social Podcast Network.